0: The enemy of my enemy is still my enemy. Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan. You know, I have taxes this year. Did you not have problems with taxes? I, they were a bear. I just, I could not get my taxes done right up until the last second. I have two kids. I'm not even really sure why you're talking about these things. You know, uh, I I thought so too. And he didn't even say anything about that. Yeah, it was just totally weird. I,
1: I didn't even ask you a question. What are you talking about? Hold oh, wait a minute. I think I know what's going on here. I need to go back on this recording.
0: I'm
1: checking the background noises. Okay, I see what's going on. This is... Ethan! This is a pre-recorded message, isn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Where, where are you?
0: I'm in the other room.
1: Dude, would you get in here? <laughs> uh, that was great. No, it wasn't. It totally ruined the beginning of our show. It was. It didn't even make
0: any sense. What was all that stuff about taxes and hair? I just thought it was funny. Did you like to blow up me in the blow-up me on the couch next to you here? No, no, uh, not, not at all. It was like the airplane autopilot. Can we just get to the...
1: <laughs> Let, let's just do the episode.
0: Okay, let's get down to it.
1: This is episode 19. The Honey Offering. Hey, before we
0: get into a real in-depth discussion of this, do you have any trivia for us? Well, I sure do. Just got a couple of things on the uh, guest uh, stars that we had for this week. Uh, Kimberly Huey, she played Elspeth Mossadeen. Now, she's had a number of roles in film and in television. Most notably for film, she was in the movie Deep Impact from 1998. Uh, She's also got a lot of producer uh, credits and director credits as well, uh, more recently. And uh, she is going to return as Elspeth again in season two. So this isn't the only time we're going to see this particular character in the Andromeda universe. Mm-hmm. We also are introduced to Fleet Marshal Cucullin Pierce and he's played by actor Adrian Griffiths. Uh, he has quite a number of uh, sci-fi credits uh, in his IMDb list, from The Outer Limits to X-Files. Uh, he played Quartermain in the TV, the made-for-TV movie, and I bring this up just because it's. Much maligned, the Nick Fury agents uh, or Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. A television movie that was on, I believe, ABC back in the hmm. very late 90s, right before the Marvel thing. Well, before Marvel got their act together. Hmm. Uh, he also played Blake Becker in Future Sport. And if you remember, Ryan, Future Sport was the feature film that Robert Hewitt Wolf sold. It was supposed to be a feature film. But then it just kind of got made into a TV movie Mm -hmm. with Wesley Snipes and uh, uh, Superman, Clark Kent, uh, Lois and Clark. (laughs) I forget it. I forget the actor's name every time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Dean. Uh, Dean Martin? Uh, (laughs) James Dean. James Dean. Dean. Jimmy Dean. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're way off. Anyway, that guy. uh, I heard he's a lot of fun at cons. Um, in, In any case... Uh, and since since that time, he has done Battlestar Galactica, Smallville, and even had a small role in the X-Men Origins film Wolverine, or The Wolverine. And then finally, we had Charles Zuckerman, and I bring him up. He played the Docmaster, the Perseid Docmaster at the station, and uh, he's actually going to return for season four. Uh, I don't know if it's as a Perseid or what, because uh, I haven't watched that far. Hmm. But uh, anyway, he'll be back in a future episode as well.
1: Okay. We'll put a pin in that. Okay. And then when season four comes
0: around. I'll look for it. I'll look for his name. Zuckerman. Charles Zuckerman. So anyway, yeah, that's what I got for trivia. So with that being said, we know a little bit about the uh, actors that are going to be playing these characters. Ryan, why don't you give us the summary of the honey offering? Okay. Okay. Well,
1: while Tier and Dylan jog around the Andromeda corridors, Tier hatches a plan to Dylan to transport the first daughter of the Saber Pride to the Jaguar homeworld for her marriage to the Archduke's son. This should make friends all around and a powerful ally against the Drago off. Win for Dylan and the Commonwealth, and win for Tyr since he hates the dragons. Dylan agrees, but only under the condition that the Jaguar and Saber Pride stop fighting for control. ...of the Enkindu and Schopenhauer systems. Grant them independence and freedom to sign the Commonwealth Charter. Tyr thinks the price is high. Surprisingly, but not to Tyr, the pride agrees and the deal is on. The Sabren Princess comes aboard the Andromeda, insults everyone on her way to find the best quarters for herself, and mistakes Tyr as the captain and everyone else as his slaves. Or pets. Princess Elsbeth... Continues throwing her weight around in a very abrasive, rude, and assuming manner. This is putting everyone off, except Harper, who just thinks she's hot. Dylan asks Tier to talk to her and try to get her to take it down a notch. Tyr talks to her, but it's more like, hey, you're about to become very powerful, don't forget that I'm the one that arranged this, and that he is everything she could ever want. She reminds him that his pride is extinct, and he works for humans. Ouch. Trance takes it upon herself to investigate what this princess is up to. She breaks into the observation deck, since this is where Elsbeth has chosen to stay for the duration of the trip, and starts to open a case when she is discovered by Elsbeth, who steps on her tail. Trance doesn't like this and goes running. Dylan is about to handle the matter when Romy reports that multiple Nietzschean ships are exiting Slipstream. Their Drago cat's off, being led by the notoriously genius and dangerous Kukulin Pierce. Surprise! They want Elsbitt. He gives Dylan some time to think it over. Hunt takes Elsbitt in the Maru, which Harper has recently outfitted with high-guard ECM generators. Back on command, Becca Hells could call in and pleads for help as she tells him that Elsbeth has taken over the ship, is holding hostages, and has just taken over command. It's a trick. Dylan and Elsbeth escape on the Maru while the Drago Catsaw fleet pursue the Andromeda. On the Maru, Dylan and Elsbeth get to talking. She's impressed with his abilities for a human. He starts looking through her stuff and is able to do what other leaders have been unable to do, and finds weapons of mass destruction. He uncovers her real plot. She has been training since she was three years old for this one mission. She is to marry the Jaguar prince, set off a neutrino bomb, leveling the city and all its inhabitants, including the entire royal family, bringing the Jaguar pride to its knees. Dylan pleads with her not to do this. She insists that she has to. They get in a fight. She breaches the ship's hull with her lipstick taser. They weld it shut, and she slaps inertial restraints on him, and what set would be complete without the agonizer, which she demonstrates for him? Back on the Andromeda, Becca and the crew continue to flee from the Drago cats off, but they are closing in. After a series of messages from Kukalan, who is still under the impression that Elsbeth is in control, he notifies them that they have three hours before they are intercepted. Meanwhile, Elsbeth forces Dylan to take her to a drift where she rents a luxury suite. There, they continue to talk over what she is preparing to do. She holds firm to her resolve to commit mass destruction and murder, but removes Dylan's restraints and starts to... warm up to him. Back on the Andromeda, the crew figures out that the only thing chasing them is a bunch of drones with footprint magnification systems, and the messages from Kukulin were recorded at the same time and then sent separately. They turn a hard 180 and go back to look for Kukulun and the Maru. Back in the suite, Hunt enters the room to find a gun to his head held by Elsbeth. But there's no time for power play here as Kukulun's men forcefully enter the room. There's a big fight. Dylan and Elsbeth prevail and escape to the Maru. Elsbeth tells Dylan to head for the Jaguar homeworld because she's late for her wedding. Drago off ships are coming in hot. Just then, the Andromeda comes in and starts picking off Nietzschean ships. Dylan orders them off. Dylan radios the Jaguar fleet, their future princess, is under attack. It won't be enough to fend off the Drago cats off. Dylan and Kukolin both know it. But Dylan figures that if the Sabra were planning to blitzkrieg, they would probably already have a fleet hiding somewhere, say, behind a gas giant. He tells Elsbeth to order the Sabra fleet to attack Drago cats off. Dylan has united the Jaguar and Sabra against the Drago cats off, totally ruining the plans of the Sabra to destroy the Jaguar. At least for now. Dylan then sets course to deliver the princess to her awaiting bridegroom. Later, back on Andromeda, Elsbeth sends Dylan a private message that she is happy with her new husband and that she might not kill him, but we'll see how it goes. And that for now, his solution seems to be the better one the end. Ryan, you (laughs) milksop.
0: It's pronounced Sabra, not Saber.
1: (laughs) What? Did I say Saber? Yeah. Well, at least I didn't say Museveni.
0: Wait, which one is it again? <laughs> they said it in like Museveni, three different ways. Museveni. This one, yeah. Yeah, so we we still haven't got a uh, a definitive uh, pronunciation. I think we'll go with Tears.
1: I think he's a main character, so you kind of got to just assume he's... Just go with yeah.
0: it. Yeah, just go with it. I got you.
1: So the new service droids have Attitude. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, they do. Kind of sassy, aren't they? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, Rami definitely, it, it, you don't see her, but it, it almost sounded like she was in the Android. Yeah. Um, it sounded like she was inside talking mm-hmm. to Harper. And yeah, dripping with <laughs> <laughs> with with the uh, the sass back. Uh, There's a show a while back, it's something about an overclock sass back chip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forget where that came from, but uh, yeah, it's out there somewhere. Wow. And Rami's got it. A tear seemed uh, genuinely twitter pated, didn't he? Yeah. He, he, well, yeah. well, first of all, you know, because his response is, uh, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just thought Hamilton Cobb's acting for that, I mm-hmm. mean, it, you, his, that's the only time I have ever seen this character and the actor with his face just... It lights up, (laughs) no, and and you can genuinely see, wow, I like this girl, I really, really like this girl, and the whole time she's standing there insulting Trance and Harper and everyone else, he's just standing there just, I really like this girl, you you can see it in his face, I thought it was quite, quite, funny yeah well I mean with every
1: insult you know he's just being more and more impressed (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. like purple monkey why didn't I think of that I love this girl (laughs) Uh, here was something I kind of wanted to pick on okay this was a production thing Um, what did you think about all of the uh, during the jogging scene the the camera shot that's coming towards them and then goes
0: between them and then continues down the hall okay uh, you know, I was going to actually save that oh. for a little bit later in the discussion, but you, you, you brought it up. So okay. let's talk about it. There was a lot of experimentation being done with this particular episode. And I don't know if it was the director. It was Brad Turner directed this one. And I don't recall seeing his name before. So unless I'm mistaken and I haven't gone back to look and I, I will do that if I need to. Uh, uh utter a retraction next week for the next episode. I will do so, but I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this is the first time we've seen Brad Turner as the director, and we got different shots you know the the like you're talking about mm-hmm. the the camera hovering just above the floor and then running in between which <laughs> makes them look like they're just shooting through that <laughs> through those hallways like they're going hundred miles an hour uh, the fast cuts. Obviously, they have to, because I, I would imagine that set, the hallway set, is not very big. And you got to do fast cuts to make it look like they're covering a lot of ground. Yeah. They probably really just have one hallway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're probably right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you had that. You're right. So, you had that sequence. There was some different stuff being done there. The The start of the show was different than in... Well, I I'm here again, I'm going out on a limb. It seems like it's different than every other show that has come before. Because we have the, you know, we're setting up the Elsbeth character, mm-hmm. and so she's, you know, strapping on the, the beaded, you know, uh, what do they call the thing on their forearm? The the spikes the spike yeah yeah the little gauntlet that covers the spike uh-huh. she's putting on her little bejeweled <laughs> mm-hmm. bedazzled <laughs> I didn't know you could bedazzle your uh your 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 spike gauntlet but yeah. uh, she obviously has a, you can bedazzle anything a, you, you, can. Mm-hmm. you can you bedazzle can bedazzle a football look at my bags that I carry my stuff in huh? <laughs> no just kidding um so yeah she's doing that she's getting her poison darts ready and her. Various uh, accoutrements for assassination, and uh, that's different. That's different than than way other sh- other uh, episodes have started so far in this season. And I think that's the result of just the uh, the director. I think it's somebody new that's come to the show, and uh, we're getting something different out of it. Well, I mean, I want
1: I, I hope we're not getting too ahead of, too ahead of ourselves now. But I mean, is that a writer thing or a
0: director thing? I think I, it's, it's a director thing. Yeah, no, it's totally a director thing. I mean, writers are going to write, you know, they're running through the hall, but it's up to the director to figure out how he wants to frame those shots, how he wants them done. No,
1: I get that. But okay. I'm talking
0: about the opening scene of Elspeth when she's, when
1: she's, you know, doing her, her Rambo deal. I mean, is that... That, yeah, that, I don't know. I mean, I was just figuring that the writers said, this is what Elspeth is going to be doing, and then it's up to the director to figure out how she does it.
0: Yeah. But see, every other episode of the show has started with... It would have immediately gone to Dylan and Tyr running through the ship. And yeah. Tyr set introduces the plot for this particular episode. Yeah. I have been in contact with the Nietzschean Prides, the Sabra and the Jaguar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they have a, a daughter that's getting married from one pride to the other. And it's going to create peace and it's going to accomplish great things. Yeah, it was in my summary. Yeah. So... That is... <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> that is how the episode would typically start, I I would think. hmm And that's how they've basically been written up to this point. Yeah. So I'm just wondering maybe if the director said, hey, let's do this one a little bit differently. And, and maybe just toss that in there. Okay. As as something different.
1: Or maybe, you know, when they got to the end of uh, shooting, they were like, you know what? We probably got like
0: 45 seconds. <laughs> we d- We need a little extra time. Yeah. That's usually how those things happen. So... That, yeah, we don't know, we don't have access to archives, so we're just guessing here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know what, that's a a good point. Uh, I don't know who would have, if that would have been written into the plot, or if it would have been a director saying, I need a little extra time, let's introduce the character right Mm -hmm. off the bat. Uh, Becca wants to know why, whenever people need to go somewhere, they always take the Maru. (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, surely the Andromeda has got, you know, courier shuttles or something else that other people could use Mm -hmm. to go other places, maybe. Apparently it only has slip fighters. I guess. I mean, you would think 4,000 people on board at one time, Yeah, ships are coming and going all the time. Mm -hmm. It seems like you would need some sort of shuttle or something like that. Now, having said that, I realize your production budget probably doesn't allow you to have multiple shuttles. This this isn't Star Trek. This isn't Star Wars or anything like that. So you can't spend a whole lot of money on additional sets. Mm -hmm. We are, we had the Maru from the beginning. We know the Maru is on board. It's just become convenient that anytime somebody goes somewhere, well, let's just take the Maru. And then I love how they even add in, well, Harper's done all this stuff to the Maru to make it, you know, it's our preferred (laughs) method of travel now. Mm Mm-hmm. I just thought, thought that was pretty interesting. I thought it was Funny. interesting
1: that Becca didn't know about all the stuff that Harper had done to the market. It it's is her ship. kind of her ship. You
0: yeah, know? yeah. No, I, you're absolutely right. And I, yeah, <laughs> you know, you kind of wonder what her reaction
1: really is going to be. You know, that oh, he's he's installed all these EMC generators and or. ECM generators. I, I don't think we actually find out what that means, do we?
0: I, I don't think we do. <laughs> anyway, and, and I, I really want to know what Beck is going to think about that uh, that aftermarket sunroof that Dylan <laughs> added to the to the hall. Yeah, he fixed it. <laughs> they patched it up. Yeah, yeah. Just to put a Band-Aid on that. Yeah. No, but but you know what? Here we, here again. We're getting into the show itself. I I really think something different happened with the production of this show because did you not notice how the Maru looked? the mars is an ugly ship uh i it's a rust bucket but you can actually see the rust i mean it was like defined in in the graphics of the hmm. ship in the 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 scenes when you see it in space fl- flying through space it looked like they spent a little more time kind of making making the ship more distinct looking mm-hmm. it, it seemed to me that in all the previous shots we've seen in the other episodes they were dark so you really couldn't see detail. This seemed like it was lit, and actually had some work done to it to make the ship look more defined. Mm-hmm. I thought that was some that was something else I was going to bring up. That I, I think they did a little more with some of the production. How long does it take for rust to form? No idea. It can be. It, well, it, down south, uh, it can happen very rapidly. In the in humid climate, so you're talking about like like rapidly, as in like weeks, days, D- years. Okay. Yeah for for yeah for to really five six years something like okay, that. Okay, here's I what I'm getting
1: at. Okay. How does a vessel that spends the vast majority of its time in space how does it get oxidation?
0: Well, let, let's think about this. Uh, we already know that Becca's dad built the ship, right? Mm-hmm. He cobbled it together. Yeah. Who knows where he got those components from? Yeah. So they may have been sitting in on a a wet world Mm -hmm. when he got them. So they were already rusted when he built it. Possibly. That doesn't sound safe. (laughs) Well, you know, don't don't fly with Flash either. That's not a safe way to fly
1: either. Yeah. You know, last week we talked with Lisa Ryder, and one of the things that uh, came up was about the, the fact that through the entire series there never was... Um, any hint of any sort of a romantic relationship between Becca and Dylan. Until now. Oh, well, I guess we <laughs> forgot about this. <laughs> yeah. Now, in fairness, it's not actually um, any sort of romantic no, it's definitely relationship forming. Yeah, it's yeah. Becca is just totally messing with Dylan and with Elsbeth. Uh, I'm not sure who she's messing with more.
0: yeah. And you know what? Listen, thinking back to the interview, um, somebody made the observation: "Well, you guys just have no chemistry." Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking how true that is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, he, uh, Dylan, he's like, "Oh no, 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 wait, 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 no, 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 you don't." Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. That that's not very good chemistry.
0: No, when you it no, was contrived. No, 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 no. It was it was funny. It was funny mm-hmm. uh, for for her to put Dylan on the spot like that. Yeah, and I think it. It almost did seem like it was more to get, you know, I, I just, I yeah. wonder if that was just ad-libbed <laughs> because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Because well, what's he going to do? Yeah. <laughs> just stand there taking. it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, you
1: don't go the next step to try to convince But really, seriously, We're, what she just did there, that's not, <laughs> that was, oh man, how do I explain this? <laughs> um... So we come across another Nietzschean, and this is a big, bad, feared, mighty Nietzschean, Kukulin. And uh, I just look at the guy, and I'm like, I could take him. Yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not so sure. I, I, I guess we're spoiled by we're 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 under the impression that Nietzscheans
0: are supposed to look like tier. Yeah. And so far, there haven't been any. Nietzscheans are a little bit of a disappointment. They have. Would you start going out from Tier Anasazi? Yeah. Maybe, maybe Kodiak Pride just had a. Maybe they had all the gene, the look genes. The others have. Well, Cacullen's obviously an accomplished general. Yeah. So he st- strategic <laughs> to, to draw from. Never mind. <laughs> strategic. He, he he's very strategic. Yeah. So he's good at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you know working out just isn't his. Thing. Or any of the others to this point. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to pick on the thing because it's it's my thing that I clue in on.
1: Is it a door lock thing? It's a door lock thing.
0: <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Dylan orders the room sealed with the guest inside. Mm-hmm. Now, when he makes that order, he's talking to Ronnie, right? Yes. <clears throat> It seems to me that Rami is going to have the ability to be able to monitor (laughs) that room. (laughs) So when Dylan goes to the room and the the makeup box is propping the door open and obviously Elspeth has escaped, Mm -hmm. where was the warning? (laughs) Doors open, sensors break, you know, there should have been a signal. Rami should have said, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. hold on, Dylan, uh, our guest is escaping. It doesn't happen. <laughs> well, I'm.
1: Rami was busy. Okay. There was a situation with the Nietzschean fleet. This is a brand new situation. Is this going to be a combat situation? She's, she's a warship. Yeah. So she's getting ready to fight. She's sizing yeah. up the fleet and, you know, trying to figure out okay, can I take them? She's not paying attention to the observation deck. And even if she was, she probably prioritized things and said, Princess escaped her room. I don't care. It's wartime.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I really... I'm, I'm coming around to the idea that maybe it's time to expand the SD RAM on board Andromeda.
1: Well, <laughs> maybe the Andromeda's intelligence is based off of an iOS,
0: so she can't do more than one thing at a time. <laughs> Multitasking is just <laughs> not her thing. Firing missiles, that's the priority. Yeah. Everything else is, you know, second, third... Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. we'll get to that once the war is over. (laughs) All right, right. So let's get down to what did we learn from this particular episode? What have we learned about the Andromeda universe from this? I've got one. Okay. That I can start off with. Okay, go ahead and go for it. Mono molecular lash. We Mm -hmm. got a new weapon. Yeah. It's like a it's it's like Jedi meets Indiana Jones. (laughs) Wow. Which is awesome. <laughs> it's a lightsaber whip, is what it is. <laughs> I thought this was a really cool weapon. I, I, when 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 we see it in the opening shot, I'm just like, whoa, what the heck is that? Mm-hmm. And then when we get to see it later, I mean, she's like cutting holes in the Maru, which, which I imagine is not a hard thing to do. <laughs> you just hit a spot where the rust is. Yeah, it's, it's already halfway through. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But then, then I thought it was it, it was pretty cool. When the Nietzscheans are invading the the honeymoon suite, and she goes to whipping the the molecular lash mm-hmm. at uh, at one of the Nietzscheans, cuts the dude in half.
1: And it didn't even look like it was two separate guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're just gonna move right on through that one, and just let that. We're just gonna let that sit. That'll be great. All right, that'll be great. Yeah, so I I really thought that this was a fantastic uh a little fantastic addition for this. I know I don't know if we're going to see it again. Uh we might actually if Elspeth is going to be in a, a future episode, we may see it again. But even if we don't, I thought it was really cool to see this 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 weapon. Just I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Um I got to say this whole thing with with Elspeth
1: and her entire mission there were some 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 problems that I had with the whole thing. Like plot
0: hole type problems.
1: I don't know if they're specifically plot holes as much as they are just holes in logic and reasoning on the part of the Sabra Pride. Sabra, Sabra. All right, go ahead. Because she's been training for since she was 3 years old for this mission, and the mission is to marry the son of the of the Jaguar Archduke uh, get into the royal family, and then immediately assassinate the entire city.
0: Yeah, what's the problem with that?
1: Herself included.
0: Yeah, neutron bomb would kind of do that. Nietzscheans don't commit suicide. Ooh, that's a good point. I, ha- You know, I didn't even think about that. But they have made it a point mm-hmm. to... Well, to point that out, mm-hmm. that Nietzscheans will not commit suicide. Um, and there, that
1: this has even been discussed in a previous episode about um, the idea was that the Nietzscheans um, did destroy themselves in order to win this, uh, this conflict that they had. And Tyr said, absolutely not. This would never happen. Making it absolutely perfectly clear under no circumstances. You're talking about math-
0: mathematics of tears, right? Where he says Nietzscheans won't destroy the ground they're standing on.
1: No, it was all great Neptune's oceans. Okay. When the uh, the Castilian, th- the whole feud there was because some were claiming that they destroyed the Nietzschean world, but the Castilian said, no, they destroyed themselves. Right, and, okay. right, right. And, and tear made it absolutely clear, No. Nietzscheans would never do this, even if it was for the good of many, many other Nietzscheans. They the would self, not sacrifice themselves. The self always comes first. Right. Self comes...
0: Be- well, that's that's, a, that's the core of Nietzsche. Yes. Nietzsche. The,
1: the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. Yeah. Yeah, the total opposite of the IDIC. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... Itic. Yeah. So, uh, right there, the fact that she would be willing to do this, nah. uh the fact that her family would be willing to put her in that situation, it's not themselves are sacrificing, so maybe they would be a little more willing to let someone else die, but even then, she's a Nietzschean. And they're trying to instill in her these Nietzschean ideals, the very ones that she's fighting
0: for. Ah. Uh, yep. The only thing I can think of to combat or, or to counter that argument would be that we're talking about two lesser prides. Everything we've dealt with before seems to me like it's, it's dealt specifically with the uh, Drago off, and, and they are obviously the dominant pride. Mm-hmm. They would never have to condescend to, you know, committing suicide in order to get the upper hand for themselves or for, for their progeny. Um, Maybe that's just a a, a trait that we're see, being introduced to now in the Sabra and the Jaguar. They're inferior prides, you know. They're not in a position that the Drago Katsov are in. So, in order to gain ascendancy amongst the two warring factions, you know, they'll resort to a little bit of underhandedness, even if it goes against their ideals. Yeah, maybe. I don't think so. Yeah, I. You know, I, I I I bring that out to play, you know, Mm -hmm. devil's advocate, but you're right. You're right. Everything we have seen so far, and even Tyr, who is not a Drago Katsov, it is abhorrent for him to think about, you know, taking uh, suicide as the way out. And, you know, because you think about that situation back in Great Neptune's
1: Ocean, he was personally offended at that accusation. Yeah that's what it amounted to to him was an accusation um not just a, a theory or a story but i mean it was he took it personally them fighting words yeah yeah he, <laughs> yeah yeah he he that that's what he came to dealing with was no something is <clears throat> fishy here <laughs> because <laughs> Because uh, Nietzschean does not commit suicide. Uh, yeah, and if he didn't get that joke, go back and listen to All the greats in episode. Episode mm.
0: 10, I believe. Episode 10, yeah. Look at me. I know. Me. See, I'm <laughs> you on are on a roll. I'm on uh, And I think we could go a little bit further into what we've learned about these two prides. Again, the, the Jaguar and the Sabra. Uh, 200-year-old blood feud. Yeah. And that's a long time to be mad at your kinfolk. Yeah. Because they're all, they're all kinfolk. They're all descended from the same line, which, I mean, here, <laughs> wow, uh, having said that, now I realize, you know, we've got, you know, we're all human beings on this planet, and there's uh, feuds that uh, war- go between tribes and, and nations and mm-hmm. races that uh, extend back many, many, many hundreds of years. Yeah, thousands. Thousands, even, yeah. So, 200 years, and now that we've... Thought about this. It doesn't really seem like that long a time. No. <laughs> so the 25 years or so to train Elsbeth, that's, you know, drop in the bucket. Yeah. It's pretty uh, fresh. Pretty fresh. Uh, and, you know, uh, I guess, its is it, it going to accomplish anything? Really? Is, is murdering all the upper echelon of Jaguar, is it going to do anything? According to them, the theory is that,
1: I guess, without without those those big heads, the whole
0: thing crumbles yeah but I mean look at tear yeah he's the last of Kodiak but you can see it in it when he talks about it he's gonna take down the drago cats off yeah he's gonna take down the universe yeah so I mean imagine you have the whole inferior of Jaguar that's been subjugated by Sabra. Are they going to let go of their Jaguar heritage and just join the Sabra and do their bidding? Never, <laughs> no. So yeah, you can imagine this feud is just gonna just keep. Yeah, they they may lose the upper hand for a while. Escalate, I would say. Yeah, it's just gonna keep on going. So this whole plot is, it's a temporary upper hand for the Sabra, but it's it it isn't going to accomplish anything.
1: Yeah, I mean it. I mean they did have that fleet ready um to come in and and as dylan said blitzkrieg yeah um maybe that's really what their plan was she seemed to indicate that it the whole thing was just going to crumble because of this attack and this devastating loss that the whole pride would just crumble i gotta think really there's going to be more to it than that they're going to have this big attack um, they're going to be caught completely off guard, unaware, unprepared. And then that's when they can swoop in and just annihilate the rest of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, possibly. That's a good plan. Yeah. But uh, Tyr has also pointed out that uh, why destroy what you can conquer? Yeah. So if you can subjugate a whole lower class of, of Nietzscheans force them to become your slaves, force them, force them to fight in your fleet, whatever the case may be. Why not just do that? I mean, that to me seems like what kind of the plan was. was th- This was how they were going to get the upper hand over Jaguar. Mm-hmm. And then it would just, you know, it would sort itself out.
1: Okay, so rather than
0: Annihilation, the fleet was hiding there probably more for an occupation. Yeah. Okay. Well, ob- it, it, obviously the Jaguar have a fleet. Yeah. So the Sabra fleet's going to have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Even if the leadership is destroyed, there are still going to be leaders on the fleet that they're going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. It just seems like a mess. Yeah, it really does. Blood feuds really don't result in anything. Yeah. Just look at I the mean, Hatfields and McCoys. Exactly. And you know, really, I mean, war, what is it uh, good for? <laughs> absolutely nothing. Our apologies to all the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible joke. I feel ashamed <laughs> and a little bit dumber for having uttered it. Uh, we have a lot about human and Nietzschean Nietzschean uh, culture, yeah, cultural differences mm-hmm. uh, in the exchange between Elsbeth and and Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um. What were your thoughts on it? I didn't really have anything specifically to go on to, to bring up in the discussion, but I mean, was there anything in that? I mean, because what we do see is that her background is obviously different from that of a a human child in, yeah. their, in their, their upbringing. And really, that's just indicative of, of the Nietzschean culture in general. Mm-hmm. They are taught to think differently than a normal human being. I bring it up, really, because I guess in my mind, the thought is, is you're genetically modified. You hold to a certain grouping of, of, of beliefs or tenets that are kind of in line with human nature, but also kind of go against human nature at the same time. Yeah. So, is it really that these... Nietzscheans, uh, are, they, are they really just that ingrained? Uh, is there not part of their humanity that's in there? Because it seems to me that the longer Dylan is able to talk to Elsbeth, the more he kind of unlocks a little bit of her humanity.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's probably it, it. That's not something that's unique to Nietzschean society or anything that's unique to the Andromeda universe. This kind of stuff happens in real life every day um, there are people individuals as well as societies who are so ingrained with a certain um, belief about another group whether it be uh, tribal racial um, economic social whatever religious. Yeah, yeah yeah religious yeah. I mean just yeah you just have all these and people um, in a sense are almost born with these ideas in the sense that they're taught this way from birth to yeah. look down on, on this other certain people. And the Nietzscheans are the same way. And this can happen with humans today. It does happen. Um, someone who is brought up with these beliefs and these ideas that someone else is, is lower than them. They don't even consider them to be human well then they can learn that their view, the way they were brought up was wrong. Yeah. And then they can learn to accept um these these people that they once hated. Yeah. That they were raised and taught to
0: hate. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I and I, I guess that is um concerning this character. And I guess we're kind of getting to the do you have any more about the what we've learned about the Andromeda universe? Uh, no, not because I think we could take this and we can just kind of segue mm-hmm. into our character discussion. And this is what I really like about this character. Elsbeth. Uh, it, yeah, she's haughty <laughs> mm-hmm. when she first comes. I don't, I don't mean she's a haughty. I mean, haughty H a U G H D Y. Right. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> very high on herself. Very arrogant. Mm-hmm. And you immediately are put off by that, that attitude that she exhibits and plus, she stepped on Trance's tail. How mean is that? Yeah, that's not cool. It's don't, not cool. Don't, don't stand. Don't step on Trance's tail. <laughs> uh, but but it, you can see the change in in how she begins to earn or Dylan begins to earn her respect, and then that begins to kind of open the thing the the idea that maybe what she's been taught isn't necessarily the direction that she has to to keep going in. And I really like her character because it grows. Over the course of the show, and we only get one episode, but I thought it was really neat, the, the progression that the character makes. And ultimately, we don't learn a whole lot about the crew. Uh, maybe a little bit about Dylan, but... We do learn something pretty important about Dylan. Okay, I'll let you come to that. Okay. But ultimately, from my my perspective, I didn't feel like this was an episode about the crew at all. Uh, Dylan was there, mm-hmm. and we, you, we yeah, we do learn some things about him. But this was, this was a show about Elspeth, I yeah. thought. And, and I really liked what they did with this character. I like what we learned about mm-hmm. her. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing her in a, in a future episode. Okay, and then
1: uh, we started about Dylan. Yeah, go for it. We learned something very interesting about Dylan. Um, the rest of the crew, I guess, at this point, we believe are kludges – Pardon the expression. Sorry.
0: What are you calling me? No, 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 no. No, okay. no. no. Okay.
1: I'm sorry. It's, it's... And as we learned in Music of a Distant Drum, a Kludge is a genetically unmodified human. But Dylan evidently does not fit that description. Right. He's not Nietzschean, yeah,
0: but he's not. He's not a kludge. Yeah, she makes that observation. Mm-hmm. Are you sure you're not part Nietzschean? You know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. His mother was a heavy worlder. Yeah. Um, so this was someone that's been modified genetically to be able to withstand
0: um, a world. Now, was she genetically modified? I just took that to mean maybe she was part of a generation, generations that had lived and existed on a planet with a heavier gravity. So she had kind of adapted to just living in a in a heavier gravity environment. That's that was my take on it. I didn't know that did they specifically say that she was mod- modified?
1: Well, I don't know if they specifically said it, but that's that's, that's kind of how, how took I it? took it. Yeah. Okay. You know, so uh, uh, cuz the nietzscheans are, they're modified. Yes. Whether it's um, modification through through artificial selection, or whether it's
0: modification through well, we already we already know from uh, the pearls that were his eyes that there's modification going on in human beings anyway mm-hmm. because one of the the cronies of the yeah. of Uncle Sid he makes that you know that he was modified genetically mm-hmm. modified, but he was still human. He wasn't Nietzschean. Right. So yeah, okay, I, I can see yeah, there's a precedent for that, I suppose. Yeah. And and we know that the
1: Nietzscheans do try to improve themselves through both means. But but either way, he's definitely something more than just human. Yeah. So he I guess somewhere in between. Yeah. But he he's not a descendant of Drago Museveni, so he's not a Nietzschean. Right.
0: Uh, Dylan does make a new enemy, a new personal enemy. I'll I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have mm-hmm. Um Yeah, because uh, Dylan puts an end to that blood feud, doesn't he? He uh, he gets the two sides to come together and to fight against the Drago Katsov. Yeah, for the time being, anyway. For the time being, Cacullen uh, is the fleet marshal for the Drago Katsov, and uh, and so it, it seems like Dylan's got a new. Uh, Somebody else to, to gun for him now. Yeah. That's good. That's what he needs. Yeah. keep More of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do have one observation, character-wise. What did you think about the whole situation with Romney? R- Rami. Romney.
1: <laughs> no, he lost. Romney. He
0: lost. <laughs> yep. Yep, he did. No, Romney, at the end of the show, what did you think about the situation with her being in the quarters and then the holographic Andromeda showing up? And essentially chasing her out. Yeah. After she's already admitted, she missed her captain. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting just a little
1: bit more of that something going on between Rami and Dylan. But see, this is where it really starts to get convoluted. Because when this first started in D-0, it was the hologram Rami... That seem to have a problem. That seemed to have the attraction. Yeah, and now it seems more and more.
0: It's transferred. Yeah, it's transferred to the to the It's, ship the, it's Flash. the
1: avatar that that seems to be um, more closely involved with Dylan, yeah. uh, as far as you know, just everyday activities. But
0: honestly, doesn't that make sense? Yeah, but. It, do we
1: have internal conflict within Andromeda? Because it's the hologram that chases
0: Rami out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there, there's that obvious, there's that obvious yeah. real there when she's just like, this is a private message. Yeah. That means you, <laughs> and
1: Automaton, don't forget that, that <laughs> this is my man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that.
1: And I kind of feel like we got to hit this, at least just hit the high point real quick. We're all adults here. Um, but this was kind of another thing that it it's very unnetzan for of Elspeth, um for her to engage in a physical relationship with Dylan, someone who is not a
0: Nietzschean. This would not be approved of right, but Dylan unlocked her humanity.
1: Even still, I'm not buying it. I don't. I just no. Okay. I don't think because Tier already like he set the precedent with Becca. No, never, never, absolutely never.
0: Yeah. All, and, all I gotta say is it. All of the all of this just kind of leans to there were some defects in her training, if you want to call it defects. Yeah. Um, we view it as probably well. Unlocking a human side to her, mm-hmm. um, Tear would not see it that way. Tear holds to his training or his 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 background. Yeah, he holds to his tenets very well, very stead steadfastly. So let's just say, yeah, there was something about her training that was just off. Do you think she
1: was too tightly held in uh, throughout her entire? upbringing and her training. Well, I mean, she said that the last couple of days
0: for her have been fun. Yeah. Um. She wanted to enjoy herself, so she was enjoying herself because she had never had that opportunity to enjoy herself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I guess so. I guess maybe that makes a little bit more sense than um, her being willing to commit suicide. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I st- I'm... I still have a hard time with this, though. Okay. And and how Dylan wouldn't see it as a possible betrayal, knowing how treacherous Nietzscheans can be, anything can be a trick. True. But anyway, um, I'm going to say something to you, Ethan, and I want you to uh, tell me what you think of this. The enemy of my enemy is still my enemy.
0: It's very Nietzschean sounding. Yeah. Who said that? Drago Museveni. Give the man a cookie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very Nietzschean saying. It is,
1: but does it stay completely in line with what they're doing here? Because the whole point of what Tier is proposing at the very beginning of this episode, he wants to unite these two prides... In order to fight against the Drago Katsov, yeah, his ultimate enemy. Their enemies are Jaguar and Sabra. He he, these are his enemies as well. Maybe not as much enemy, but they're still his enemies. So, does it seem that like he's even like he's trying to make Dylan uh, okay? Because what he says to Dylan is whatever makes your enemy weaker makes you stronger. Yes. Um even if even if that whatever it is that makes them weaker is the joining of two other of your enemies to fight against this other enemy, which would have been a common a common enemy to Dylan and
0: Tear. it? How many enemies have we got going on here? <laughs>
1: They're all enemies. <laughs> They're
0: all enemies. <laughs> no it- You know, really what this comes down to, it is very Nietzschean. Yeah. Nobody's going to be a friend. Mm -hmm. You can't rely on anyone to be your friend. Right. Not even within your pride. Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately, you only rely on yourself. Yeah. And ultimately, yeah, I mean, that's what we're seeing Tyr doing. Tyr is just trying to position things so that he can come out as good as possible. It doesn't mean that Dylan is his friend. No. It doesn't mean that the Commonwealth is his friend. It doesn't mean that Sabra or the Jaguar, definitely not the Drago Katsov. mm
1: mm-hmm.
0: None of them are his friends. He's not doing this for friends. Yeah. He's doing this so that at some point, he can try and figure out a way to come out on top and put everyone else under his boot. I mean, that's, that's the impression that I get. hmm So, this saying, the enemy of my enemy is still my enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from Tyr's point of view, this is the only way it can be. Yeah. Nobody's your friend. Rely on yourself and position yourself. Use people to get what you need to, to get to the position that you want. Mhm. No, I absolutely agree. It's definitely a very Nietzschean thing.
1: It sounds like a, it sounds like something that Tyr would say. And I guess ultimately that is what he's doing. It just kind of seems at the beginning of this
0: episode, like he was... I think the only thing that would give him pause is the fact that he was, like I said before, he was kind of Twitterpated. He was taken with Mm Elsbeth. And uh, if she had responded to him, um, maybe his whole plan would have changed. (laughs) (laughs) He might have made some adjustments.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe his plan did change. Um, I don't know if Tyr knew what was supposed to go down with Elspeth um when after she, she married Charlemagne Bolivar. But things yeah, def, definitely changed. I don't think he was planning on going into her room and trying to uh get her persuade her to to I guess marry him. I mean
0: that's what it seemed like. Yeah. Basically yeah, uh, remember did.
1: who did this and
0: Look me up later. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, And if there's one thing we know about the Nietzscheans, they like a good pairing Mm -hmm. to pass on those good genes. And another thing we've learned about them, at least from the opening sequence, uh, Nietzscheans like to party. Yeah. If the party involves mass assassination. Sure. Yeah. And who doesn't like a good party? Well, let's get down to it, Ryan. All right. Let's let's finish this uh, discussion out with uh, what we thought about this episode. Ryan, what were your thoughts on the honey offering? Well... I was prepared to say
1: I liked it better when it was called Elan of Troyes. You're harsh, man.
0: <laughs> You're harsh in my mellow. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: that was a uh, a Star Trek original TOS. series yeah. episode. Yeah. That when, when I saw this, it just reminded me so much of that episode. Because you have the alien dignitary royalty that comes aboard the Enterprise and is just absolutely spoiled, rotten, <laughs> awful yeah. to everyone. And and that's what I remembered about this episode before I started watching it to take notes on it for this show. That's what I remembered about it. It yeah. was like, oh yeah, that's the of Victorious episode. And I was also prepared to say, uh,
0: didn't like it. Um... I changed my mind, though. Wait, you're not being sarcastic. You actually did change your mind. I did change my mind. Okay.
1: I changed my mind, and I'm not even really sure that I can pinpoint why, except just when I thought about the episode, and I I had problems with it from the beginning, and this was just from what I remember about the episode, Um, specifically what I really had a problem with. I mentioned it earlier. What I really had a problem with... Was Elsbeth um, getting involved with Dylan? It just seemed so incredibly un and just so wrong. This would, this should not have happened. In fact, I kind of th- even from Dylan's standpoint, why would you let that happen? Why would you let your guard down against someone that you know is so dangerous? So to me, that was a really big reason why I didn't like the episode coming into it this time around. I found so much more that that kind of seemed like just a lesser point, just kind of one of those things that's just a little annoying, yeah, as so many episodes that we've seen already, there are always these little things and it's just like i i'm I'm not exactly crazy about that, yeah, but it's just kind of it becomes such a small thing, and it's just like whatever, let's look at the rest <laughs> of the episode, yeah. and so that that kind of just just kind of fell off. A little bit. I I felt like I had to mention it, but it's not enough now at this point for me to say that I don't like this episode anymore. Um, Because I did like what we learned about uh, about the Nietzscheans, and if she is supposed to be a representation of what the Nietzscheans really are, is at their core they're human, and they've just been uh, so. Trained and so taught, and it's just been ingrained in them so much to hate anything else that's not them. You know, then, then maybe there is more to the Nietzscheans than what you see. I mean, it, we've we've seen a little few glimpses of that. Uh, Rade, he was definitely close to Dylan. It appears at this point that Tier is starting to have a certain fondness for Dylan. <laughs> He's warming. Yeah. Um and so we can see she just makes a total transformation in this episode. It's good to see Character growth. Yeah. Anytime you can have that in a 42-minute episode and someone has this much character growth. And the thing was, it didn't seem forced either. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times...
0: That's a good point. That's you what have, I yeah, you have
1: it. a lot of times a character who's just like, no, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But even when she was coming around, she was still struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Even at the very end of the episode when she's sending her message to Dylan... She's still not completely convinced. There's still conflict within her. Yeah. But she can definitely see this other side that she has never seen before. Yep. And I didn't like the camera shot going down the hallway between the. You didn't. Between Tyr and Dylan. Nah, I didn't like that. I thought it was stupid. But you know what? They did it twice, it was really quick. (laughs) <laughs> just long enough for me to kind of raise my eyebrow a little bit. And What were they trying to do here? Yeah, because yeah. really, yeah, what were they trying to do? I didn't, okay. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's cinematographers out there that are like, you just don't understand the genius. You're right, I don't understand the, <laughs> the genius. <I> <laughs> don't, to- <laughs> don't try to explain it to me either. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I I was ready, fully prepared and ready to just give this episode a big old pfft. But uh, I can't do that now. It's, That's yeah. interesting.
0: I kind of half expected for you to give the... I thought you might poo-poo it.
1: Yeah. But,
0: uh, okay. So you liked it.
1: I did like it. It's not definitely not my favorite. Okay. Yeah. But, it, yeah, probably a pretty middle-of-the-road episode for me.
0: Yeah. Well, for me, uh, my thoughts on it were, I, I appreciated the differences in this episode. And I like it. Because it feels like we are now coming down to, we're getting down toward the end of the first season. Mm-hmm. It's the show has gotten its legs. We we have a direction we're going. We're seeing this universe developed, and now we have a, a show that is it, it's got some it's got some history to it. Now
1: mm-hmm.
0: we're not, you know, this isn't episode one, two, or three where we're just learning about the crew. It's not episode. 8, 9, 10, 11, where we're still just learning about the crew mm-hmm. and a little bit of, of the universe going along. This, to me, feels like uh, an episode, a, m- a more mature episode, probably the most mature episode we've gotten in this first season. And I say mature in that we're not just learning about crew, mm-hmm. you know, th- and this isn't a ship in the bottle. This isn't just all on Andromeda and we're just learning about Harper or Trance or Dylan or... Rami or whatever. We've got another character and it's not one that's going to stay on board the ship. And I like this episode for the exactly the same reason that you brought out. We have a character and we get to see it go th- th- through. We get to see this character go through development and at the end she's different, but she's kind of the same. Mm-hmm. She's still got that wrestling that she's dealing with, but She's learned, and she can, like you said, you put it exactly right. She sees the other side of the argument, mm-hmm. and and so what that teaches us about the Nietzschean culture mm-hmm. or race is is like you said before. There's some, there is a human side to it. Mm-hmm. Dylan says it best. There are offshoots of the same race, so there is some humanity in there, and we get to see just a little bit of it. And uh, I, I think it was really well done. I thought, it, I thought the Elspeth character was very well-written. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and so I have that appreciation for that character. And looking at the episode itself, uh, you didn't like the camera angles. (laughs) I thought it was neat to see them... It seems like they're doing some things differently. They're experimenting. Well, now, it was just that one that bothered me. Okay. You don't, you don't have to back off from it. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: it was. You're like you're saying I didn't like anything about any of the camera work. I'm like, no. It was just that one going down the hallway okay. between the joggers. That's all. Well, you
0: know what? If we never see it again, that's fine. This will never come up. It is, it's
1: perfectly fine with me if we never <laughs> okay. see it again. <laughs>
0: So, anyway, but yeah, I like the fact that they, you can tell they're getting some different ideas in there and they're experimenting. And yeah, some of it works, some of it doesn't. But this feels like a show now that is, it, it's kind of, it's come out of its infancy and now we're getting to see a universe and characters beyond just the core characters. And uh, it, I really. Just as a sci-fi show, I just enjoyed sitting and watching this show. I watched it once without even taking notes, and then came back and took my notes on a second watch through, and enjoyed watching both equally as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I very much like this episode. Okay, so there we are.
1: Yep. All right, well, that pretty much wraps it up. We'd like to hear what everybody else out there
0: has to say. Yeah, we sure would. If someone did want to get a hold of us, Ethan, how could they do that? They can reach us at uh, DriveBackTheNightPodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter,
1: at AndromedaPod. Our home is Podbean. We are
0: www.Andromedaseries.podbean.com. And if you subscribe to us on iTunes, we'd certainly appreciate you leaving a review or just leaving some stars. Once again, thank you very much to our good friend Tim Kimmerly, who gives us his voice
1: at the beginning of each episode for the opening quote. We are an Age of Geek production at www.ageofgeek.com, and we hope that you will join us back here again next week, and we will discuss the episode Star-Crossed.